The Holy Spirit continues to set hearts on fire with the love of Christ and inspire people to bring the good news to a world that is aching to hear it. Welcome to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. Now, here's your guide on this grand adventure, Catholic singer, songwriter, author, and speaker, Miriam Marston. And welcome back to Blazing the Trail here on Mater Day Radio. I'm your host, Miriam Marston, and I'm so glad you're able to tune in this week as we continue to hear stories of what God is doing in our world today. Now, when I've had guests come on the show, they normally share a, a kind of sketch of their life and describe how faith has been woven into that story through the years. And this week is a little different. Uh, my guest, Mike Perkins, definitely has a story to tell, but it's one that takes place over a much shorter amount of time. But even this is enough to give us a glimpse into the transforming power and presence of Jesus. Since a lot of what Mike will explain in the interview um, unfolded during the feast day of Our Lady of Guadalupe, which is December 12th, that's actually what I'm going to reflect on before sharing the interview. Additionally, Mike is committed to doing his part to foster a culture of life in our country, and Our Lady of Guadalupe is the patroness of unborn children, so it seems fitting to spend just a few moments with this theme. A few years ago, Bishop Robert Barron gave a homily on Our Lady of Guadalupe, and what follows is an excerpt from that homily. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 1, we read, A great sign appeared in the sky, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. How wonderful that Our Lady of Guadalupe appears as a pregnant woman clothed in the sun. In the book of Revelation, Mary is described in just this manner. But we should not approach this symbolism in a superficial or merely sentimental way. The woman clothed in the sun and with the moon at her feet is portrayed in Revelation precisely as a warrior. Confronting her is a terrible dragon intent upon devouring her child as soon as it is born. Through God's grace, the child is in fact delivered from danger, but the dragon is furious, sending a torrent of water from its mouth to sweep the mother and child away. In the wake of the child's birth, moreover, a war breaks out in heaven between the dragon and Michael and his angels. The Lady of Tepeyac, that is, Our Lady of Guadalupe, is a warrior as well. To Juan Diego, she said, I am the ever-Virgin Mary, mother of the true God. In so saying, she was actively dethroning and delegitimizing any false claimant to that title. Standing in front of the sun and upon the moon, while the stars of heaven arrayed on her cloak, the lady was showing her superiority to the cosmic elements worshipped by the Aztecs. The gods in question were bloodthirsty divinities, sanctioning imperialistic war and demanding human sacrifice. Mary announced herself as the mother of a God who demanded no violence, and who instead took upon himself as an act of love all of the violence of the world. She was thereby effectively calling out the false gods in the name of the true God. What followed the apparition at Tepeyac is, of course, one of the most astounding chapters in the history of Christian evangelism. Though Franciscan missionaries had been laboring in Mexico for 20 years, they had made little progress. But within 10 years of the appearance of Our Lady of Guadalupe, practically the entire Mexican people, 9 million strong, converted to Christianity. 
La Morena had proved a more effective evangelist than Peter, Paul, St. Patrick, and St. Francis Xavier combined. And with that great national conversion, human sacrifice came to an end. She had done battle with fallen spirits and had won a culture-changing victory for the God of love. The challenge for us who honor her today is to join the same fight. We do not sufficiently engage this great feast if we simply wonder at a marvelous event from long ago. We must announce to our culture today the truth of the God of Israel, the God of Jesus Christ, the God of nonviolence and forgiving love. And we ought, like Our Lady of Guadalupe, to be bearers of Jesus to a world that needs Him more than ever. Again, those words are from a homily from Bishop Barron. And now please enjoy my conversation with Mike, who learned some beautiful lessons about the cross of Christ and the crosses in our own life. I am delighted to be joined today by Mike Perkins, who has been husband to Sharon for 43 years, and he's a father and a grandfather. Mike, it's great to have you on the show today. How are you? Doing very well, Miriam, and thank you for having me. All right. Well, Mike, let us dive in. You know, here on the show, um, we just try to tell stories of where the Holy Spirit has really been at work in people's lives. So can you share a story or two or three um, of your own, which remind us how God is working powerfully and concretely in our lives? I I will share a story and I do it. uh, I make no claims. I do it only to share to, to do what the Lord asked me to do in this experience, which was Amen. to share the, the real message for others. So almost two, well, two years ago, at the end of October of 2019, my wife and I went to the Amazing Parish Conference in Anaheim. And this is just giving the background. And we went to sleep in the hotel and woke up and I woke up with neck pain and I'd never had neck pain. And for the next five weeks, I was working hard. I was the CEO of a company at the time, and I was traveling a lot. I was only home 11 nights in the next five weeks. So in order to cope with the pain and and to try to sleep, I started taking ibuprofen. Mm -hmm. And that didn't work. So I did that for about a week, and then I took a leave Mm -hmm. for about a week, and that didn't work. And then I took some prescription NSAIDs and that didn't work. And then I finally got in to see my orthopedist and I took a, he gave me a steroid dose pack. And by now it's early December. So over a month, five weeks or so of trying to cope with this. And I needed to fly to Des Moines, Iowa for a board meeting. And I did. And I had a layover in St. Louis and I had dinner in the airport, grilled salmon. And we flew then the rest of the route into Des Moines. And when we landed, I stood up to get off the plane. And I had some, what I would call extreme abdominal discomfort. And I wondered, I wonder if the salmon that I ate in St. Louis was not caught in the river. Or maybe it was caught in the river. Either way, I thought, "Mm, bad meal. And I got to to the hotel and checked in about midnight. And shortly thereafter, started bleeding internally or the signs of internal bleeding were uh, making themselves known. And that happened a couple of times over about 20 minutes, lots of blood. Um, And so I I used to be a 
uh, emergency medical technician back when I was a youth minister years ago. So I called the ambulance and said, I'm bleeding and it's not good. It's bright red blood and there's lots of it. Um, could you come get me at the hotel, but don't run lights, don't run three and three, we call it lights and sirens because it's the middle of the night. Don't want to wake up all the people in the hotel. I'll meet you downstairs. But by the time we finished the conversation, I said, you know what? I'm too weak to meet you. Better come up to the hotel room. So I went to the emergency room of the Catholic hospital in Des Moines, Iowa. And I had a gastrointestinal arterial bleed. So somehow that medicine had worn a hole in my stomach, right at an artery. And every time my heart beat, it was pumping blood into my gastrointestinal system. And for the next several days, they did four endoscopies and two colonoscopies trying to find the bleed and could not find it. And in the meantime, they were giving me units of blood to try to keep my blood volume high. What's ironic about it is that I had been on family vacation in July, a few months previously, and I, I had, uh, <clears throat> I'd been CEO for a while, and I realized on that vacation, I'm taking care of everybody but me, and I was really out of shape. And, and so on that vacation, I started working on that. And then the next between the end of July and the beginning of December, I'd lost 50 pounds and my blood work was great. In fact, my nutritionist was presenting at a conference of 2000 doctors and she was using my blood work to show this is look what look what can happen if you get serious about your health. It's extraordinary. The changes in his cholesterol and every every facet that we use our blood to study in terms of your health. And then I went into the hospital and I bled out every drop of that blood in my body three and a half times. I bled out my entire blood volume three and a half times. And they kept giving me blood to make up for what I was bleeding out. And they could not find the bleed. And every morning, eight doctors would file into my room, the chief gastrointestinal specialist, the chief resident, and then all the student doctors. And they would say, here's what we're going to do today to try to find the bleed. And each day that did not work. And after a couple of days, the gentleman who owns the company, whose board I served on, called my wife. I had called my wife, Sharon, when I went into the hospital and said, hey, you know, I'm bleeding, but don't worry about it. I'm at the hospital. They'll figure it out and I'll be fine. And two days later, he called her and said, I don't care what he said. You better get up here. And he flew her and my daughter up. And my sister came as well because it was beginning to look bad. And uh, one of the characteristics of extreme blood loss is weakness. Can't believe how weak you get when you bleed. So over the next for over several days, four days, I'm, they tried to find the bleed unsuccessfully. And it got to the point where my hemoglobin had dropped below, was dropping to precariously low levels. And hemoglobin is a measure of the amount of red blood cells available in your body to carry oxygen to the brain. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And everyone who dies, no matter what they put on the death certificate, dies of a hypoxic injury to the brain. You don't get enough oxygen, you die in your brain. And so they were becoming quite concerned. Mm-hmm. And on the morning of the feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, the doctors trooped into my hospital room, my ICU room. Now I'm in ICU. And uh, the demeanor was different. Mm. You could tell something, something's wrong here. And the chief physician said, listen, we, we don't know what else to do. We've exhausted what we know how to do here at the hospital. There is another physician not too far away who knows something we don't know. And we're trying to get him here, but... It's he's very busy because he's the only specialist who can do this. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to get him here. Your job is to hang in there. And it was very evident to me, even in my weakened state, I realized they think I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. And my hemoglobin had dropped below a level at which normally you would die. Mm-hmm. So They said what they had to say and they left. And my nurses, God bless nurses, it's incredible. I was bleeding and that was all coming out where gravity takes blood and they they would take such good care of me, it's incredible. But they had a somber demeanor that morning as well. And I'm a a merry guy, my faith is deep. My wife and I have worked for the church one way or the other most of our lives. I'm praying my rosary. And I was, I'll I'll be honest and say that I was bartering. (laughs) And since I was praying to the Lord, you can't let me die. Please don't let me die. Because first of all, I have not yet eradicated abortion from America. And you asked me to leave a job I love to come here and fight abortion. And you got to give me time to get the job done. And secondly, I, my, my oldest daughter, our oldest daughter was pregnant with our first grandchild. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, Lord, I, I really would like to see my grandson. So if you could just let me hang on long enough to, and she was probably five months away and six months. And thirdly, I said, I don't want my children for the rest of their lives to go Christmas. Yeah. That's when dad died. Yeah. So for all those reasons, Lord, if you could spare me, I would be grateful and was praying sorrowful mysteries and thinking about things. And that morning, my hospital room door opened and three men walked into the hospital room. And I knew two of them, the president of the company, one of the investors, but the third guy I didn't know. And I he had something about him. And I said, do I know you? And he said, no, we've never met. My daughter said, I feel like I know you. And he said, we've never met. He goes, but perhaps you recognize someone in me that you know. Mm. Very interesting statement. Yeah. The president said, Mike, this is my friend, Tim Jameson. Tim is a deeply prayerful man. He's supposed to be on his way to Kansas City for a meeting, but his flight was canceled because of the blizzard outside. So I asked him if he would come pray over you because it's not looking good. Can you come pray for my friend? And he agreed to do it. And I said, have at it. And so they, they laid hands on me and these men and my wife and daughter prayed for me. And it was very comforting. And they left. And I went back to praying my rosary. And about an hour and 20 minutes later, I think, 
My ICU room door opened and Tim came back into the room, that third guy. And I said, Tim, you've come back. And he said, Mike, I drove home through the blizzard. All I wanted to do was sit in front of my fireplace, change clothes, open a beer, sit in front of the fireplace and relax. But as I was changing clothes, the Lord told me, I need you to go back to the hospital and anoint Mike. And I always do what the Lord tells me. And he was carrying a black box, looked like about the size of a bowling ball box. And he set it on the bed and he flipped open the clasps and he reached in and he took out what I recognized as a monstrance for a relic. And he brought that relic up to where I could see it. And I knew what it was, but it had a label, a relic of the true cross of Jesus Christ. And he laid that. And I said, where did you get this? And he said, I got it from a beloved priest friend who willed it to me when he died. And he got it in Poland in 1948 when they found a lot of things the Nazis had stolen from Catholic churches. And he was a seminarian at the time. And they gave it to him. And he then got assigned to a shrine in Iowa, the Grotto of the Redemption. And he brought that with him. And he goes and went, and, the, and Tim said, when I was 11 years old, I became his altar server. Oh, wow. Very appropriate relationship. I went with him when he was doing Sacrament of the Stick. And he's a deeply spiritual person who's now up for canonization. Wow. And he goes, I saw him do so many amazing things that when I was 12 years old, Tim said, I asked the Lord on my 12th birthday to give me all the spiritual gifts. Mm. And he did. And this priest, Father Graving, helped me to adapt and acclimate to having all of the spiritual gifts. Mm. And he laid that relic on my abdomen where the bleed was. And he went back to his box and he pulled out a bottle of oil. And I was expecting oil of chrism or something, but he took the cap off and the icy room was filled with the smell like I have never smelled. It is incredibly beautiful. And my daughter's head whipped around. She's 34 at the time. Her head whips around. She goes, what is that? I've never smelled anything like that. Yeah. And Tim said, whenever father said, or at times when father said mass at the shrine, the altar servers would come to him and say, father, your chalice is sweating again. And he would go to his metal chalice and the metal patent, and they would be secreting an oil wow. around the edge. And he would wipe that oil off with his finger and scrape it into a butter tub, an old butter tub. And he held up that bottle and said, this is some of that oil from his chalice and the patent. And he said, Mike, it was virtually full. He goes, Mike, I've anointed more than 300 people with this oil. And the level of oil has never dropped in the bottle. Wow, wow. And he came up to me and he anointed my forehead, my throat, my chest. And at that point, my daughter says, Dad, you went away. I didn't know if you fell asleep. I didn't know if you passed away. But you were clearly not there. And, and now again, I say, this is just what I experienced. What I experienced was a sudden awareness that this, the Lord was standing next to me. And I was so comforted by that. And I can't tell you what he was wearing. Can't tell you if he looks like uh, the guy in the chosen. Yeah. I just, uh, I saw what I saw was light 
And what I felt was peace and comfort. And I, but I knew it was the Lord. And I said, Lord, I am so glad you're here. I have a question for you. And he said, Mike, what's your question? And I said, Lord, I, been, I have been bleeding and I've been praying and I've been praying the sorrowful mysteries. And I said, you were crowned with thorns and you were scourged at the pillar. And I've been to the Holy Land. I've seen those two inch thorns and I've seen depictions of what you would have looked like really after the scourging. And I said, and Lord, I used to be a, a paramedic and the first automobile accident I ever responded to, the windshield was broken out. I looked through it and the driver was covered in blood from his head to his waist, covered in blood. And I thought he'd lacerated an artery. But when I pried open the door and examined him, it turned out he had one two-inch scalp laceration from the broken windshield. But that scalp is so highly vascular, you bleed profusely. And I said, Lord, you must have had, I don't know, 36 or more scalp lacerations from the thorns, plus you were scourged. You must have lost as much blood as I've lost. How did you carry your cross? Because I'm so weak from blood loss, I can't pick up my cell phone off the table right by my bed rail. I'm so weak, I can't pick up my phone. How did you carry your cross? And the Lord looked at me and said, you'll recall I needed help carrying my cross. Hmm. And I'm here to help you carry your cross because you've helped me carry mine. And I want you to tell everyone you love as close as I am to you right now. I am this close to everyone ready to help them carry their cross in their darkest hour. If only they'll help me carry my cross. Mm. You are not going to die. And then he repeated it. You are not going to die. And he was gone. And as I came out of that, he, um, Tim was taking the relic off of my abdomen. He had finished anointing me. And he went around and laid it on my daughter's abdomen where her baby bump was. And he mm-hmm. anointed her. And then he turned back to put it away. And I said, Tim, I just had a conversation with the Lord. And he goes, I know, he was standing off your left shoulder. I said, yes, yes, he was. He goes, I know he was here, but I don't know what he said. What did he say? And I said, he told me I wasn't going to die. Hmm. And, and he said, that's the message I'm getting, Mike. The message I'm getting is you're not going to die. And I'll come back and check on you tomorrow. And we talked a little bit about it, and he left. And from the time he took that relic off to the time he left was about 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And 10 minutes after he left, my door opened and nine doctors trooped into my room. And the lead doctor said, this is the doctor we've been expecting and hoping for. And the only reason is here is because he had two cancellations back to back, which never happens. Just walked into the hospital 30 minutes ago looking for you. And so that doctor examined me and said, I'm surprised you're alive. You're too weak to move. We're going to bring all the equipment into this room. And he had a technique where he ran a microscopic camera into the arteries 
feeding the gastrointestinal system. So instead of looking for it in a torrent of blood from inside mm-hmm. the intestines, he actually went into the arteries. And on the third artery, he found the bleed. Wow. He found the hole. And the hole was at the splenic flexure, which is at the limit of what you can find going down from the mouth or up from the bottom. Yeah. And that's why they couldn't find it. And he found it, inserted three copper coils, and over the next five or six days, that all coagulated, and I lived. Wow. I share the story. I mean, it was, uh, when you look at my hemoglobin, I should have died. My, I share the story because he said, tell everyone you love, as close as I am to you right now. I'm this close to everyone, ready to help them in their darkest hour. If only they'll help me carry my cross. So I say, love the Lord, do what he calls you to do, and know that he is there at your side, ready to help. I'm deeply grateful, obviously, for his choosing to do that. I'm glad that my daughter was there to witness this, and my wife, and uh, it was an extraordinary experience from which I've completely healed now. Praise God. Grateful I get to continue to do the work of the Lord. But I share the story for that because he asked me to share it. And just know that he is there next to you, ready to help. And all he's asking is that you help him carry his cross by whatever method in life he calls you to serve. Whether it's a husband or a wife, mother, daughter, son, brother, employee, whatever it is, priest, son. Love the Lord and trust in his goodness and his desire for your well-being. I love that. And really you're getting Mike to the heart really of, of evangelization is to tell the, is to tell the story to others that what we've been entrusted with to share that with others so that others may come to know and love the Lord as well. The thing I'll say is don't take ibuprofen or Aleve or any NSAIDs without taking Prilosec or Nexium Good to know. Good to know. Mike, I'm so thankful for your time today. I ask that God continue to bless you and your ministry. Thank you so much. Thank you, Miriam. God bless you and Mater Dei. My interview with Mike led me to ponder how Catholics honor the precious blood of Jesus. We even dedicate the whole month of July to honoring the precious blood. And this is not just a peculiar pious devotion in the church. Really, it's a powerful reflection on the depths of our Lord's sacrificial love for each and every one of us. So unsurprisingly, there are a number of references to the blood of Christ in Scripture, and I want to wrap up this episode with one in particular, from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 10. Therefore, brothers, since through the blood of Jesus we have confidence of entrance into the sanctuary by the new and living way He opened for us through the veil, that is, His flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a sincere heart and in absolute trust, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold unwaveringly to our confession that gives us hope. For he who made the promise is trustworthy. We must consider how to rouse one another to love and good works. We should not stay away from our assembly, as is the custom of some, but encourage one another, and this all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
Again, that's from the letter to the Hebrews. And my prayer for you all this week is that you have this confidence in the power of Christ and that you too can hold unwaveringly to the confession that gives us hope. And let's continue to be signs of hope for one another in the days to come. Thanks so much for tuning in. Again, my name is Miriam Marston, and I hope you can join me next week as we continue to blaze that trail of faith in our world today. Until then, stay well and stay close to Christ. God bless you all. You've been listening to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. For more information on Miriam Marston and her work, plus an archive of our past shows, Visit us online at matradayradio.com or download the Hail Mary Media app. Blazing the Trail is produced at the studios of Matraday Radio in Portland, Oregon.